Thugs today we have with us. And you know what? I'm not even going to attempt to categorize our next honored guest mini talents. But I will showcase some of his most recent uh, achievements. We have with us today recipient of the 2019 Best Indie Book Award, shortlisted for the 2020 Shelf Unbound Best Independent Book Award, 2020 and 2022's recipient of the Literary Titan Award, author, poet, spoken word artist, and photographer, Fernando Rover Jr. with us in the power plant today. How you living, brother? Thank you so much. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm really, really honored and excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And we are honored to have you. So we're going to go ahead and get plugged in. So we've been charged with two things. One, the discovery of our gift. And two, the responsibility to share that gift with the world. And right now there's somebody who's buried underneath the weight of a false narrative that they believe about themselves. And they're going to see this and they're going to say, I can relate to his story because he's from where I'm at. And I'm not talking about a geographical location. I'm talking about a mindset and a set of circumstances. And they're going to say, you know, he successfully navigated his way out of a place that I can't see myself getting out of. So, Fernando Rover Jr., this is your hour to amp the people up with the power of your story. Let's electrify them. All right. Question number one, knowing what you know now, what would you tell the 18-year-old version of yourself and if you would be so kind as to give us a picture of what was going on in that young man's life? Sure. Um, I would say a lot of things to my 18-year-old self. Um, I think at 18 years old, you know, you're, you're full of so much uh, wonder and so much energy and you're just waiting to get out into the real world and you know you really are you know you really don't really know what's going to happen and so you just kind of have this positive outlook not that that's a bad thing but you know you just don't know any better and for me for me that sums it up great but to really paint a picture of how that changed for me um when i was 18 was the same year that trayvon martin was killed and we were the same age, you know, wow. we were the same age and we had a lot of similarities between each other. Like he was visiting his, so he had a step mother and a step and a father. My, my dad was remarried, you know, and I would occasionally visit him and, you know, his wife and things like that. And, you know, uh, growing up where I grew up, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood as well. And I would walk to the store. I mean, what kid doesn't do that in the neighborhood? You know, walk to right. the neighborhood convenience store at, at night or whatever, you know. Um, and, you know, I just remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, that could have been me, you know. And right. and I think the not not so much the situation at, at, at hand, what was going on, but just the whole discussion of what was going on, 
around, right. you know, with his race and what that meant and, you know, just how they were equipped to vilify him as a, as a, as a, a criminal at such a young age, I mean, at 18 years old, you wow. know, and that was a big uh, eye opener for me at that age, because again, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, you have such a, a rose colored outlook of the world at that age, because I mean, you're 18. I mean, you, you really haven't had any experience or, if you have had experience, it's a very minimal, limited experience to change your perception otherwise, especially me. Um, so I would tell him that I would tell him something that was just recently told to me when I went to a conference, actually, um, with, a, with, with a group of um, coworkers. Um, and I would say, unfortunately, you know, the world is not going to see you the way you see yourself. Um, the world's not going to see the value or the worth that you have. And you're going to have to fight really, really hard in order to be seen in that way, because there's so many chips stacked against you. You know, you are a boy of color, a man of color, and the world already has this idea of who you are before you even walk in the room. Mm. And you know, it's unfair and it's not right. And yes, you have every right to feel like that, but you can't let it deter you from your dreams. You Come can't on, let it um, define you and what yeah. your future is going to be. And you can't, you can't just let it get to you, you know, then, and it's going to be, it's not just going to be a one-time deal. There's going to be moments as you get older, as you progress and go through college you know, because I went to a predominantly white institution, you know, I was one of the, I was the only African-American English major and history major. And I was very much in the vein of pro-blackness. And that was at times told to me that that was a bad thing or that was intimidating. And yeah. I, being young and confused, like, how is it a bad thing? Um, <laughs> but you really, you really can't let that be, you can't let that, you can't let others deter you. Like you know, you might be seen as a threat to some people, but you just right. have to lean into that and not let yourself be disillusioned by you know not being accepted or not being liked or not being invited. You know, sometimes you have to be the outcast, be the outsider, and you know. So I would tell him to just embrace who he is. I would tell him mm. that again. The world's not going to like you. The world's going to see the value that you see in yourself. So it's up to you to, to remember that and to remind yourself when it gets hard and um, to never give up, just to be as simple as I could put it, just never give up. That's beautiful. I hope y'all are listening. Some very, very key points that he just said about encouraging and reminding yourself of the value that you have in spite of no one else seeing it at the time. Yep. So can you tell us the story of how you discovered the gift that lives inside you? <laughs> um, I have always been, I've always had an active imagination. Uh, I remember there was a moment when I was five years old and I would, you know, during kindergarten, they would have, you know, story time or they would have, you know, creative writing time. And at this particular point in my life, 
I had a really, really bad speech impediment. I had a really, okay. really bad stutter. And it still comes out from time to time, but it was really, really, really bad at the time. And, you know, I was very, um, I couldn't really communicate in the way that I wanted to. And so I would kind of be a little rambunctious and, you know, I kind of would feel a little insecure because I couldn't like speak or I felt like nobody was listening to me. Um, right. But for some odd reason, like I couldn't read, like I, I read below reading level. I was not good at math, but for some reason, I was good at writing. I was good at creativity. And yeah. I noticed that from a really early age and I latched onto that. Um, that was a, a point of comfort for me because I discovered journaling really early and discovered that you know, in a, in a time where I maybe didn't make sense of or didn't feel like I fit into the broader world or the broader narrative that I was born into or that I was living in, I could kind of go into myself and go into my journal and create my own world and own narrative. And wow. even, if it, even if it didn't make sense to anybody else, it made sense to me and that's all that mattered. Yeah. So, um, that was really early. I remember that. And then I remember as time went on, again, I, I really enjoyed journaling. I really enjoyed, I, I slowly but surely became, began to read better and, and read on, on level. And uh, I was able to communicate better. My, my stuttering kind of slowly but surely went away. I mean, again, it still comes out every time, every time and time again, but it was, it was um, salvageable and I was able to kind of communicate with, with people again. Um, and I think, too, my storytelling ability was definitely nurtured by my family, um, you know, coming from I, I think every African-American family has an, has a, a rich background. You know, I think you yeah. know, it's in our it's in our um, it's in our DNA and in our in our blood to pass down stories of like yeah. everyday occurrences to children and grandchildren. And I remember, uh, you know, being young and listening to like my grandparents and my and my, my parents and the aunts and cousins talk about, you know, what was it like growing up, you know, 50 years ago or, or 20 years before I was born and just being really um, mesmerized by that and wanting to kind of compartmentalize that and capture that essence and put it somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I so I remember it was it was around age five, and then as I got into my preteen years, um, I really started to see that okay, I think I may have something here because when I was ten, um, we had to do this um, standardized test called the tax test. Oh, and, okay. Uh, uh, at fourth grade, you did the reading. There, there was a reading section uh -huh. and um, a math section and a writing section. Okay. And again, math did did I passed right? I mean, I was math math wasn't my strong. Reading was okay, but but writing I actually scored. There were there were um, on the grading scale, the highest you can score was a four, which okay. made a, you needed a three to pass. And I think I was one of maybe two or three students in our in, in my class to score a four, which was really which Come was on now. you know it was a big deal to me. And to, and to my teacher. And so uh, that was kind of a, that was a sign, that was important because it showed that, okay, I don't just have the passion or like the interest, I actually have the aptitude. 
So there you go. You know, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of like a of a balance here that okay, like like I actually like this, but hey, I'm actually good at it too. So <laughs> where else? What else can we do with this? And so I just continue to journal, continue to write, continue to read, um, and then and you know I I, I applaud uh, teachers who can see potential in students that they can't see in themselves. It takes a really right. important teacher to to want to do that because. When it comes to these, you know, being placed into like honors courses and AP courses, you know, you can say that you want to all you want, but if somebody doesn't see it and somebody doesn't right. back you up on it, it's like you're kind of on your own. And so I appreciate that my sixth grade English teacher, she saw something in me and she recommended me for um, honors English. And I was, I was, I was kind of surprised by that because, you know, um, there weren't a lot of kids that looked like me um, in honors English. And um, so that kind of was the beginning of that was a, that was a beginning for me because I was able to actually read and write on a new level because in honors classes, you know, you're reading, you know, very um, advanced literature and, you know, you're being, you're being um, encouraged to deeper as a writer. And so that was really big for me. And then going into high school, you know, it was when I discovered my um, love for, particularly my love for African-American literature. You know, I think I loved it all my life, but I really decided that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to read in high school. So I, I, I got into reading uh, Toni Morrison. I got into reading Langston yeah. Hughes. I got into reading um, Malcolm X and Martha King. Yeah. And, you know, all these different people. Um, and then, of course, 2012, when I was 18, you know, Trevor Martin happened. And, you know, um, that was a big deal, too, because I remember going into college, you know, we would I would. I, so I ended up majoring in English and history um, okay. in college. But part of the curriculum was more of like the American literature and the American history, but like the black history and the black literature were electives. And so, <laughs> you know, it, I, but I was very happy though, because my advisors were adamant about, um, about advocating that I take these courses and advocating that courses even exist. And even though, you know, I might've, even though it wasn't a, a it wasn't a, a packed class, like 25 people, you know, we still had rich conversations and um, it was actually, it was, it was, I, I would say that it, it taught me a lot about art and taught me a lot about, about, about storytelling because from 2012 until 2016 was like the, the fever pitch of the Black Lives Matter movement. It was yeah. like, it was like, it's like every day you couldn't, you couldn't turn on the television and not see an unarmed man or woman of color that was, you know, shot by police, right. you know, protests. And, and, and I remember it was, you know, having those conversations with other 19, 20 year olds. And especially in this day and age, because I think the era of, you know, you know, after Obama was voted in president, a lot of people, non-people of color, kind of entered this era of colorblindness where this idea yeah. that, oh, we aren't racist anymore because we have a black president, and <laughs> which is not at all true. Um, but again, like the fact that I think they became 
they settled into that, you know, it right. sort of made some people uncomfortable to continue to talk about it. And so, you know, I remember, oh my God, I remember the story as clear as day. Um, I decided that this is random, but it makes sense. I love me. it. Come on. Um, I remember, so I remember when I was in um, my senior year of college, I decided that I was going to run for homecoming court, which is a big deal because the me four years ago would have been like, no way. Um, but there hadn't, but like, you know, I went to a predominantly white institution and there I think had been like one or two here or there, you know, black homecoming king and queen. But there was a, there was a chance for, because another fe- a black female was running for homecoming queen and I was running for homecoming king. So we thought, okay, if we put our, put our heads together and, and, and work together, maybe we can get voted in and like, we could be the first black homecoming king and queen in the whole school's history. I mean, you know, that was a big deal for me. Um, And I remember, so you have to, you had to, of course, sign up, right? Sign up and you had to, you know, advertise yourself around campus and create posters and talk to people. And so I remember I created my flyer and it was, it was Kente cloth in the background. Hey, had the black, power fist and then it said uh my slogan was uh do the right thing vote fernanda rover for homecoming queen now in my in my mind you know yeah i mean you know in my mind like it's like i didn't do that to stand out i just did that because that's what i wanted to do like i didn't do it because oh, I want to, you know, show that I'm pro-black. No, I did it because that's who I am. That, that's always right. who I've been. So cut to the day of the election, or the day that, so the election, like the, the results go in and then you're announced at the game. And, you know, my, my family is there and I have friends there and, you know, professors are there and there's a lot of people that are there at the game. And um, we get to the, the field and... Um, I basically what happens is uh, we're all announced and I don't win homecoming king, but the, 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 the young lady wins homecoming queen. Now, the great thing about it is that we all were friends. So there was no competition. And actually that day, that night, diversity still won because the homecoming king was a person of Pacific Islander descent. So there was, oh, okay. you know, okay. I mean, it wasn't really yeah. a loss. And then again, we all were friends. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't like, oh, they lost. Like, you know, we're not friends. No, it was not like that at all. It was not like that at all because we all were friends. We all, we all came up together. And it was to me, looking back, it was still a testament of diversity. Diversity still won that night, which is, which is cool. important. But what I learned after that was even more important. I remember I ran into a friend of mine, a white friend of mine. And, uh, you know, because, of course, you know, it sucked to have lost in front of, in front of a whole group of people. You know, it's right. not, it was not easy. It hurt. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive. You know, it was, it was right, hard. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was sad. Of course I was sad. You know, of course. You know, um, but, you know, I, I woke up the next day and I felt good about myself because I actually, I, I tried. And, again, I, I was, I was, it was, it was a surprise to me because, again, the me four years prior to that, would have never thought about running for homecoming king because that wasn't my thing. I thought, but I'm like, right, my thing. Um, and um, so this white f- 
friend of mine, fem- female uh, classmate of mine, she was like, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I was like, I'm good. You know, I tried and I gave it my all and, you know, I feel good about what I did. And she was like, that's great. You know, I wanted to vote for you, but your posters kind of made me feel, they kind of intimidated me a little bit. You know, I, I kind of didn't feel like, I feel like, they, I feel, I feel like it was too, it was too intimidating. You know, I, I didn't, like, it was kind of too intimidating to me. Huh. And I was like, okay. And she was like, well, that, you know, and that's maybe why you didn't end up winning. Cause maybe, you know, you might've turned some people off with your posters and your flyers and all that. And, um, I remember like sitting with that for like a few days. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, you know, and then it, and then it finally clicked that, oh, so because my posters were too black, I might've intimidated my white classmates to not vote for me. You know, that's, that's the conclusion that I got to. And that was a big lesson for me because it taught me that everybody else can be, prideful of their background. Like Hispanics can be prideful of their background. Pacific Islanders, you know, Filipinos, South Asian um, descent folks, even white people have their own, like, you know, who are Irish and German, you know, they, right. can, they can be proud of their of their backgrounds and, and their heritage and it not be a big deal. But for us, it's seen as something different and it's seen as something that is intimidating. And that that lesson for me was that changed everything for me because I realized that no matter what I do, even if it's not, if if I'm trying to be equal or if I'm trying to be pro black, there's always going to be a, or I'm never going to have a chance to be just, you know, me, it's always going to be, it's always going to be looked at a different way. So I, 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 um, I decided that day that, okay, well, fine. You know, if, if 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 my blackness intimidates you, then let it intimidate you. You know, if my if my blackness makes you feel some type of way, then that's not on me. That's more the more it is about you. That's fine. So ever since then, I have I have just leaned into that, and I just you, you know, um, and everything I've done really since then because I graduated from college that following semester. Actually, I did my senior thesis, so I did two. I did an English and history one on black literature and black history. You know, I, I started writing for this local publication. I wrote about, you know, black issues or issues of culture and, 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 you know, of, of racial bias. So I've been, I've been really, ever since then, I've been really um, intentional on, on writing about black issues and, and I haven't stopped since then. Not, not to say that I didn't do that beforehand, but that moment in particular made, like it, it taught me that, you know, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like your work or will use an excuse your, your blackness as an excuse to not like your work. And for me, it was like, well, okay. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to say that you just leaned into just being you. And mm-hmm. the thing about that is it's really not about those who take offense to it. It's about, the fact that there's somebody out there that feels intimidated by the fact that they can't express themselves. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that in itself is a victory for you standing up. So you, okay. So is there a little more to that that you can tell us? Because the very next question was, uh, is 
when did you discover that you had a responsibility to share that gift with the world? And and how did you how did you go about doing that? Well, like I like I mentioned before, you know, my education was formed by the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, I came up during a time where, you know, we've come so far, but we still have so much far to go. And I realized that, you know, so many um, powerful and so many well-known figures that have made that paved the way for black men and black women like like myself and my my counterparts, they're you know they're starting to kind of die off. You know they they they've you know they've like like John Lewis. You know what I mean? It's like, right. You know, it, right. It's like, you know the the and and it was just it, it just it made me realize that okay like we like the the the. The baton is being is being passed. You know, the torch is being passed. You know, we can't drop it. We can't not take it. We have to. You know, we may not, we may not live the same time or era that they did, but the work is still needing to be done. Absolutely. And while it may seem like now more than ever, it's so much more harder and it's just so much more intense than it ever has been. You know, we can't. We can't not do the work, you know, because right. we're we're all we have left. Um, so that's really when I decided to, you know, I realized that okay, I am a storyteller, I'm a writer, like I am exactly where James Baldwin was and Langston Hughes was and Tony Morrison was and Maya Angelou was in their in their day where they're young and they're seeing the world around them and they're trying to make sense of it. And they're trying to figure out, okay, how can I use my gift to push the legacy of my people forward? And so it just, I just, this, I just, it, it was a no brainer. Um, it was Come a no brainer because I, and again, I, I studied black history. I, I studied right. literature. I studied storytelling. You know, um, I grew my parents, you know, instilled that in me from a young age. So it wasn't like I was completely like oblivious to it up, up until a certain age. And I didn't. And, you know, just because I'm not, you know, out, you know, marching in Washington doesn't mean my role in the movement is any less significant. Um, I just want to I just want to get into this part and not in, to really interrupt, but just to like. Everybody fights different yes everybody's role in progression is different it's like i think of it like a clock there's different parts that move and make the clock work and every role and every function is different so yes there 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 are some people that we don't want writing because that's not their thing there there we there's some people that we don't want doing certain things we need you to be doing what you do how you express yourself in the best light because something that you write could be the very thing that inspires somebody who is about to write a piece of legislation something that you write might inspire somebody who's about to give up who who maybe 
you never know, incarcerated, and they read something that you wrote, and it inspires them to lead a, a movement once they get out and inspire the nation. You never know by the seed that you plant using your gift. You never know how far that's going to take yeah. us to the next level. So how did you make belief reality? Like you saw a vision in your mind of, who it was you were growing into. How did you take that idea of that person that you saw that had no experience, that had, you know, that was going through all the frustration? How did you make belief reality to become who you are? I just tried. <laughs> um, okay. I, I, I tried really hard and I failed miserably at times and okay. I, I just didn't give up. I just didn't give up because I felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I've dreamed about doing. I'm not going to, no one's going to take that away from me, you know? And I just, I realized early on, okay, I know where I want to go and I know where I want to be. I just have to write my, I just have to write myself there. I have to, you know, just write my own, like create a story and create my own narrative and, and just, you know, chart my own path and just go from there. You know, I can't let, I can't let anything deteriorate me. And especially as a, as a writer and as an author, because, you know, when you think about being an author and being a, and being a, a writer and an artist, you know, author you know you you write something it gets discovered you know you get asked to be you know you get signed to a publishing company they take you on and they publish you and you're in bookstores and it seems great and fun and it's like the the, the romantic air the, the romantic part of the journey right and it's like it's like it's like the iceberg uh, metaphor. It's like you know you see the, the uh, on the top like the books and the the fame and you know the recognition, but at the bottom you know you don't see all the rejection. You don't see the the nights that you want to give up. You don't want to see you know you see you don't see the how how much you have to convince people that you know what you want to do and that you're not like you actually are aware of what you want to do because we live in a, we, we, we live in a time, well not a time, but just a, a world where we're so immersed in, in capitalism that right. artists, it's like, there's no room for us. It's like, well, it's like we have to constantly prove how what we do is important. Even if it doesn't have a monetary value to it, it's still important. Right. Um, and that was that was early and i remember like early early on that was really 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 hard for me because you know i had people telling me you know you could you could do so much more with your degree like you know what are you doing with this like you know you you know you're you're always going to have to work like you know you know what do you you know and i'm just like i mean that's great that you know people make this much money at this age and you know all that but that's not that's not what i'm about I've never been about that, you know. There and, you go. And there's nothing wrong with that, but not everybody, not everybody is motivated by money. 
like that. Correct. And, and I wasn't, you know, and I remember having a conversation with my advisor before I graduated and, you know, she, 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 she told me about, you know, there's traditional publishing, which is what I explained before, you know, you get signed by a publishing house and they, they pay for everything. And then, you know, they recoup what they, what they pay through, through your sales. But then there's the self-publishing route where it's all you, you know, you are your own agent, your own marketer, your own writer, your own editor, your own, you know, publisher, and you're really pushing your content out there and there's no guarantee it's going to land anywhere, but that's not the point, you know? Right. And that, and for me, that sort of, um, free landing or free happenstance that that kind of was emphasized there was what I fell in love with because at the end of the day, I have control over what my story is and how it's being pushed and how it's being received, you know, and that's really all I really cared about. You know, I could, I could, and, you know, I'm thankful that my education has afforded me, you know, a job that actually, does help, you know, pay bills and, you know, does afford me, you know, the freedom to pursue, you know, my writing career without the the pressure of actually making money from it um, because I'm able to make money and take care of myself through another position, but I can still, you know, save here and there and, you know, and, and invest here and there in my, in my work, you know, and that's, and that's okay. You know what I mean? So I, 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 I hope that, you know, artists and writers who are coming up either with me or behind me, you know, I I hope that they understand that, you know, look, don't let anybody define what success means to you. Come on now. Don't let people talk you out of your dream because they don't have a dream or they, they didn't pursue theirs. You know what I mean? So I, I, I learned early on, okay, I have to protect my dream. I I can't let everybody in you know so right i really had to learn that i really really did because you know again when you're young and you know you're optimistic like that you know you you want to believe that everybody supports you and everybody wants to see you shine (laughs) which is not true you know right it's really devastating when you do meet somebody and they show you that they don't want to see you win or they talk doubt into you and it's devastating. It really, really is. And then when you allow yourself to believe that, and then you talk yourself out of it, it's even more devastating because, you know, sure, they told you that, but you listened. You allowed them to define that moment for you. And so I really, I learned this recently. You know, this wasn't like years ago. I'm like, I learned this recently. I, I can't allow fear of failure or fear of, you know, not, not measuring up to this benchmark of success that was defined by somebody that doesn't even know me, you know, thank you, uh, you know, define what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I really, really can't do that because I'm going to be unhappy the rest of my life and I have nobody to blame but me. So I really, really, really hope that, you know, artists and writers that are coming up behind me. And I really hope I can do everything I can in my power to show that and to be a, a, a sounding board for them that don't listen to other people. <laughs> like, you know, it's, don't your, it's your example that you're yeah. setting by your work. And I, one of the things about me is 
when I speak to people, I ask them, where did that doubt come from? Where did that voice come from? Is that your voice or is that the voice of somebody else? (laughs) Because you know what feels innately you. And when you get in tune with yourself, you know that that voice, that idea, that doubt, that fear, that wasn't even you. That wasn't even your voice. So (laughs) the fact that you're saying that is powerful. And the fact that you're out producing work that is beautiful and it's authentic, that is going to be the thing that sets the actually builds the bridge for someone else who is coming behind you. So with that being said, I hope so. What would you like to share with the listeners, with those who are going to watch this about what is on your horizon and what it is that you've got going on right now as an artist? So I have, I've written three books since 2019. Um, my first book, Labyrinth, was self, was written and self-published. Um, it was based on my travels. I got a chance to travel to Scotland my last year, wow. my last the summer after my senior year of college. And uh, I got to go there and it was very, so the book is, it touches on everything from, you know, faith and discovery and revelations and heritage and everything that's really about me, really. Um, and then... During the pandemic, something big happened. Um, I remember I had so many poems that I that I wrote for the Labyrinth, and it was really really hard deciding which ones go into the final product. And I had so many left over. And so during the pandemic, you know, we had time and we had you know space and we had you know all this free time on our hands. Right. And um, I was going through my hard drive and going through my my, my archive, my vault of like you know poems that I wrote, that I wrote like maybe two three years prior that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't want to like put in a, and I don't want to I don't want to give them away. Basically, I don't want right. like, to put them in something and not get something in return for them. So I just and that's what I love about self publishing is that we have the freedom and the ability to literally publish something uh, in the moment, like literally creates like literally type it up, edit it, and then submit it to Amazon for publication. And then boom, it's literally live on Amazon within, within 24 hours. You know, that's, that's, that's so awesome, right? Yeah. So uh, Sanctuary, which is like the sequel to Labyrinth, um, talks more about what that was. You know, it was, you know, I think during the pandemic, I was, and especially other folks, we were seeking, you know, safety from the world that was like, you know, happening outside. And so a lot of the poems talk about that. And now in my third book, my, my, my recent book um, that I worked on while I, so I put together Sanctuary while working on this one um, is Maverick. So Maverick is my third book and it's really, it's something that, has always been there, but I think it was in, in divine time that it would come out, you know, as my third project. I couldn't publish it my first project because I had to go through the motions of going through the previous two to get here. Um, right. and the, the timing of it, it was inspired by the pandemic. It was inspired by the my hometown of San Antonio. Um, I used the theme of gentrification 
as a metaphor to kind of show and, and display the internal and external effects of conformity, what it has on, on people and, and places and, you know, things like that. So I was also inspired by, I was, it was the first time I actually ventured into other modes of storytelling. So my, all of my books have photography, have photographs and poems. So, you know, I've always been someone that's a, a multifaceted storyteller. I, I, I feel like writing is one way we can tell stories, but the right. photography and, and visual Im- imagery, you know, music, like there's so many modes of storytelling. Yeah. And uh, Maverick was the first time I actually ventured into the film world. Um, I created a short film component where I actually went around San Antonio and actually got footage of areas that were either gentrified or in the process of being gentrified. And I create this short film. I'm very much inspired by the indie film and the indie art film genre. Um, One of my favorite writers and directors is Gordon Parks. Yes. Um, He's the, so we we know him for Shaft, right? The original Shaft. Um, but prior to that, he was a photojournalist. So he right. took pictures of, you know, different parts of America, and he worked for, uh, I think it was Newsweek or one of the, the the well-known magazine publications at the time. And he shot in black and white. You know, black and whites were his thing. And um, so I really wanted to emulate that same style. So a lot of the the, the photographs in in Maverick are black and white. And the, the film component, the art film, as I call it, um, is also in black and white as well, you know. And it's an art film because it doesn't follow a linear, like a, a linear narrative. It's very much right. like the art, the, the poetry really leads the film. And that's what I like about art films is that, you know, what I like about art in general is that there's no rules. It's like... right do what feels right to you as the artist and, yeah. and let, the art, let the art sort of lead you down where you want to go. And there so Maverick go. really was that big leap for me. And right now I'm just reading and, and uh, continuing to promote it. I'm doing something different this time. Um, you know, kind of going back to our original talk about, you know, letting, not letting people, you know, convince you not to do something. I have been, toiling with the idea of doing like a virtual book tour, you know? And I remember like, it was like maybe last year or like, yeah, the, the end of like fall of last year, probably, probably about a year ago, I thought about it. And I was, I remember I thought about it and I was like, yeah, but no one's going to take me seriously. Like, you know, like it's not, it's not, it's not an actual tour where I'm going places. So like, you know, why even try? And then a few I would take you seriously. Ago, <laughs> right, right, no, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. It, it's, it's it's just funny how you know you just you you think you know everybody when you're in this doubting mind frame, you know. Um, and then I a few a few uh, months ago, a few weeks ago, actually, I was like, okay, it came back to me again, and and I was like, okay, and and to me, it's like if you think about things over and over again that's a sign that, okay, you have to do this because why do you keep coming back to it? You know what I mean? power right there. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, it's like eight o'clock at night. I have to to get ready to go to sleep. 
and I had this idea to do a book tour, a virtual book tour. And I thought, okay, well, okay, let's, let's marinate on it. So like, let's, you know, logistically look at it. And I thought, well, I mean, everybody has a computer. Everyone right. has a phone. You know, right. you, can do, you can do it through Zoom. You know, you can, you know, the only charge, because you know, the only charge you can give is just say your ticket is to pay for an autograph book. You know, that way hey. people are invested already because they're, they're going to tune in because they paid to tune in, but also they get something in return. They get a autographed book and you are selling a copy. So that's brilliant. You know, and then just have and and following the the metrics of a tour, have different dates and 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 you know put them on put them on like a little um, flyer, a little you know a little marketing thing, and just you know just and just promote them and just push them out the way you would do, you know, um, an in person tour. And I thought to myself, yeah, but it just seems too easy. Or like you know, what if it doesn't work? Or what if nobody? What if nobody? you know, supports or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then I finally said to myself out loud, I was like, well, why not? There why you not? go. You know what? Why not? You know, who, who says you, who's, who, who is saying that this can't work? Exactly. You know, I mean? you know and so we're doing it. <laughs> we're, you know, That's I, awesome. Uh, That's the yeah. power right there. Yeah. So for folks who are tuning in, um, I am doing a Maverick virtual book tour. If you follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Frame Reference Media, um, I've posted, you know, e flyers, and um, they're at the um, the beginning of next week. Um, I've created an Eventbrite page for the the tour, and you can purchase tickets starting next week. And then, um, yeah, you know, there'll be so. We have a couple of dates in September, so it'll officially kick off in September. So we'll okay. go from September all the way until March, and then if and then and then hey, if it's going well from there, we'll go all the way until May. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have a couple of dates here and there, and you know, a couple of poems I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out and really just kind of make it a really engaging environment and experience because I thought to myself, okay, everybody, everybody has, and again, we're in this era where we're in the work smarter, not harder era. So it's like, why not do something over zoom? If everybody wow. has a computer, everybody has a phone and people still read, people still do things. It's just that, you know, don't let, you know, because the reason why I think there was so much doubt around it is that, you know, book tours have kind of become like special to like like the the famous authors, right? Like the J.K. Rowling's and the James Patterson's and the Danielle Steele's of of this right. thing, because well, because they have the money, they have the money to, to back it up. You know what I mean? That's right. But that doesn't mean that self publishing self published authors can't do it. You know what I mean? Correct. There's and even though there's no guarantee of a success, but generally in anything in life, there is no guarantee. That that's why it's called work. Exactly. Back to what you said in the first place. What is the measure of success? Right. What your measure of success is differs from someone else's. And all that matters is that you put out the work that you saw in your mind. You create that thing. You put it out into the world. Just the fact that you did it alone 
is a success. And your tribe, your group of people, the people who you are writing to, they will find you. All you have to do is be willing to be found and give them yeah, something to exactly. find. And you are doing that. Yeah, put your that put, is put, amazing. Put myself out there. Put myself out there to be found. You're absolutely right. You are 100% correct. And so, yeah, that I was like, okay, I have to, I, I'm scared to do this. I'm nervous to do it. But you know what? I'm going to do it. I want to do it. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have, because I've always wanted to do a virtual book tour. I've always wanted to do that because it's, just, it's such a, a fun idea and fun phenomenon. And again, why not? Why not? You know? Exactly. And so, yeah. So that's that's the big thing. Like, um, anyone who's tuning in, again, you can, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Frame Reference Media. And uh, beginning of next week, the Eventbrite page will go up and you can start purchasing your tickets. Um, and again, when you your ticket literally is it includes and it's a autographed copy of the, of the book. So, you know, and let me tell you, I've seen the book. I've held it in my hand. I've turned the pages. It is gorgeous. I am as soon as I can will be an owner of a copy of this beautiful book uh, that was, you've literally asked our last question, which is how can the online community find you? You've let them know. And also I will be um, adding um, a link to everything that you just said. Um, there'll be images of everything that you said so that they can find it. But Thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us. And again, for those out there who have a gift, I don't care what that gift is, hear what this young man is saying, more importantly, what he's doing. He takes the risk, he takes the chance, he puts himself out there, and when you do that, the reward will be the reward. The fact that you were brave enough to get out there in the first place and not allow something to stop you is the brilliance right there. But I'm telling y'all, this brother is deep. Get into what it is that he has, that he's saying, what he's selling, what he's offering, you will not be disappointed. But again, thank you so much for joining us. And everyone remember to stay connected, support one another, because that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will be signing off. And uh, again, make believe reality, everybody. Until next time. Change the narrative in your life? Take the next step. Invest in yourself and book a life strategy coaching session with me at www.beliefinteriordesign.com. Let's start the journey of making belief reality.